0: Hey everyone, welcome to Bridge Stories. This is our new podcast giving people space and time to tell their stories of encountering God and being changed by Him. We hope you're encouraged by these stories and also that you leave excited that you know a lot of really awesome people a little bit better. So sit back and enjoy. Okay, let's do it. You ready? Ready. Uh, I'm here with uh, my, I I consider you a friend. I hope you consider me the same.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: I'm here with my uh, friend Greg. We are um, we are getting caffeinated by the blessing of our wonderful mutual friend Cambria. Yeah. Shout out Cambria. She um, she just got back from Hawaii, and she uh, brought me back some really good coffee. So we're trying it together. And our first reaction was both, wow, it's mm. the real thing. So uh, if you're watching this and you're jealous, hit Cambria up. And the next time she goes to Hawaii, she's think- got to great coffee connection. Greg, I'm uh, excited that you're here. i um, really grateful that you took the time out, and I, I can't wait to, I don't know, just have a really good, fruitful conversation with you. I, l- I love these podcasts. Yeah, you're one of the people, uh, there's a handful that text every time that just say, I- I've been watching every single one. So I think you have a pretty
1: good idea of what you've uh, committed yourself to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a great idea. I love getting to know people outside of, of uh, just seeing them at church. And, man, some of the stories and some of the things that people have been through, it's, it just blows me away of what God has done, yeah. you know, and what God can do if I'm in that situation. Very, very encouraging.
0: Mm. Yeah, we were talking before we pushed record that some of these stories are not easy stories to tell, right? That mm-hmm. The reason people can tell them uh, is because they've been set free for real, uh, some of the things people have shared sitting here are things that you and it you would not share if you have not been set free so it's even more powerful that that God really is in the business of doing yes it. so i want to um just kick us off i want to i want to hear about you i i feel like i've known you for i don't know how what's it been 4 or 5 years something like
1: that maybe less so that's interesting because i don't know i came here yeah. two separate times Did okay. you know that i did not know that no so so um if I can just go on with this, uh, I hope I'm, I'm not overstepping my bounds, but uh, we came here, um, my kids and I, and um, we were going to a great, great, great church, I'll just say at Calvary Chapel of Tustin, and it was shortly after, uh, about a year after my wife passed away, I just felt like um, it's time to, to try something different. Hmm. Um, I love the people over there. Uh, they helped us out tremendously after Amy passed away. But it's kind of difficult to explain, but the Lord was leading me out. And I thought, you know what? Calvary Chapel testing is very unique. It's very good. And it's going to probably take a while to find a new church, maybe a year or so. And this was the first church we tried. And my first impression was we walked from our house and we, we were walking by the sign And I didn't know anything about this church. I just drove past it every day. And I see this guy outside smoking a cigarette, and I'm thinking, oh, no. It's one of those churches where everybody's carnal, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But it turns out that it was just a random guy sitting in front of the sign. He doesn't even go here. (laughs) When I walked in, who do you think the first person I saw was? How many years ago? It was about, I think it was 20... 18 About March 2018. Uh, I'll just tell you because, you know. Carla. Carla. I would totally get it. Yes. This little. And she just gave me a huge hug. And from that point on, man, I was loved and it was different and it was so refreshing. I felt comfortable from the moment I walked in Mm. and sat in here and uh, just was able to worship and just be freed up. And uh, at the time, Erica was here with Krista. Okay. And, you know, Joshua, he was only about two. And, you know, being a dad with uh, my wife being passed away, and I've got a two-year-old, and I've got a, I don't know how old the, the others were, uh, a five, uh, six and seven and, and maybe nine and ten, nine or ten. And they would just loved them. Mm. And Olivia and, and too. Yeah, And you know what? I love the teaching. I love the worship. But, man, I think one of the things that really got me was the way they love the kids. Yeah, Man, that meant so much to me because I can only do so much. They don't have a mom who could love them, you know? So I'm very protective when I take them places, especially uh, places like a church where I want them to be loved. And, man, it was just so nice. Yeah. And, you know, I'll do anything— Chris asked me to teach Sunday school, and I'm thinking that's the last thing I want to do, but I'll do any, you know, I'm thinking if she tells me to jump, I'm just going to say how high because she's blessed me so much. You know? Yeah. And, and I love teaching Sunday school now. I, I absolutely love it. So... Hey, that's a, a, a shameless plug. If you're out there and
0: you're like, "I'll never teach Sunday school," you should definitely sign up to teach Sunday school at Bridge it's Community a Church to love the kids. So I know uh, one of my earliest memories of you is um, driving in here and seeing you walk to church. Or I still, to this day, will drive down Cambridge and see. Um, See Caleb just full sprint, yeah, yeah. Like man, that's that's a good testament to our youth program that your son wants to sprint full speed to get there. <laughs> he comes here at two o'clock on Wednesdays. Yeah, yeah. church doesn't start till what six? Yeah,
1: <laughs> he foregoes dinner.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll often send a text message like to one of the leaders, like, hey, uh, do you have a second? I want to chat with you uh, about something. And they'll say, oh, yeah, we're, we're in the youth room. Come on up. So I'll, I'll open the door. And the first thing I do is I look at how many kids are in there. And then I look at my watch, like, what time do you kids get out of school? Yeah. Can <laughs> you still be in school? Did you ditch school, school to come school. to youth group? <laughs> so yeah. I know you live down the street, but uh,
1: did you grow up in Orange County? So I grew up in Anaheim. Okay. Actually, Stanton before that. And um, so not too far, yeah, and uh I don't know, you know, just had a a neat uh growing up neat childhood, uh, mom and dad, who loved each other and uh, brought me to church, and i i had I probably had the perfect childhood. Hmm. Uh, we lacked for nothing, uh, but I say the perfect childhood up into a point. And I don't know if you knew this, but my dad passed away. No. A heart attack, and um, actually, right in our living room, right in oh, front of you remember that me? Yeah. And uh, how old were you, Greg? I was ten. And how old was he? He was forty-four. Oh my God! So he was young, and my and my mom was in her late thirties. Then I had a sister who was one, and another sister that was nine. So things changed dramatically from perfection, you know, we lacked for nothing and finances, love, to just my world being turned upside down. Did he have, you know, like a health condition prior to that, or was
0: it totally out of the blue?
1: The interesting thing is, we didn't know this until the autopsy, but he had a congenital heart condition. Okay. And uh, never knew it until it was too late, right? Mm. And the interesting thing about that is if... If, for instance, if, if you had that that's congenital heart situation, it would be nothing because it's it's very fixable today. The advances that they've made in heart surgery have, have come millions of miles since then. So if he would have had that now, he would have been saved, but hmm. it would have just been a routine uh, fix, right? But back then, that was 1977, I'm 55 today, or um, now, not today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, so that was a very difficult time. A uh, couple years before going into junior high, junior high is tough enough. Yeah. Then you know we I went to the same school from K through 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 six, and my dad passed away when I was I think in fourth grade. But in seventh grade, he had to go to a different school. Right? That was tough. And then we moved, and I didn't want to move. So all of a sudden, I became rebellious, mm. and just went through this this difficult time um and um you know what helped me though mm. yeah through all my rebellion um is as my mom she she was amazing she loved the lord she was strict didn't, <laughs> didn't let me go to get away with anything you know in bed at eight o'clock but she loved the lord and she loved me mm. and uh, that was uh, that was the big difference that got me through but i'll tell you what what got me through my dad's death at, when I was 10 years old was uh, it was the Lord. It was the Lord leading me. And I went to church, but I didn't read my Bible. But the, the, what I did when I couldn't understand why my life had changed so much, why did my dad have to die? My mom had a book of Psalms. You know, back then they just printed the Psalms. And I'd open that up and I'd take about a minute or five minutes or seven minutes whenever I was feeling down and God always gave me hope. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Um, The Holy Spirit, even at a young age will speak to you if you seek him and the hurt and the pain I had from my dad being, uh, being taken drove me to the scriptures. And when my wife died, years later, you know, I was 49 when she passed away. That's exactly what I did. I was driven to the scriptures. And Don Granger, when he was up here, he talked about a a situation that's still going on. But I noticed that he had his Bible here. Yeah. And there was a reason. He just didn't have it for um, decoration. And he may not have even opened it up. But it's our crutch, and it's a—it's more than a crutch. Like Greg Laurie says, it's our hospital, because this is what brings yeah. comfort ongoing. Because it would be nice if, like, oh, my dad passed away, and it hurt for a while, and then it, the hurt's gone, right? Yeah. Or my wife passed away five years ago. I miss her every day. I was driven to th- this this book after she passed away, but I'm still driven to it every day because I've got to do things that— It's impossible. How can I be a mom to kids? Really, I can't. But I can go to this word, and he can can fill me up with what I cannot do and enable me to do and give me hope because I can't do it all. But he brings resources. He brings people when I most need them. Whatever it is, finances, food, friends, whatever it is. Oh, and then there's the hurt that I feel for my kids because I hurt for me. But then I hurt for Caleb, Alice, and Joshua. How, how am I going to help that? Yeah, the Word of God shows me and gives me um, a stability and a love and a power that I just don't have without this. Yeah, and if I neglect this, I, I can't do it. Yeah, you know, I, I became a Christian when
0: I was a teenager, more or less, and um, I think for. For worse, really, I I, I thought of the Bible as, you know, that's, you know, what the expert teaches up on the stage and I'll listen to whatever. I didn't really read it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't until I was like a senior in high school. In fact, um, I remember for Christmas, I I was like very bashful. Um, Church was not like a big part of my family culture at all. But I remember thinking, I want a really nice one. Not like to show it off, but I I just want to feel like it's valuable and I should keep track of where it's at. And I, I always had like those, you know, $5 paper cover ones and i just mm. lose it and in my mind i thought ah shoot i lost another one i'll just grab one at youth group and take another one whatever so i remember bashfully asking my mom hey could i get a nice bible for christmas and i remember her reaction was like sure and i i had built this up to be like a, oh no i'm gonna ask for a bible they're gonna think that's weird but ever since i got it i still have it up upstairs in my office here it's uh you just go to it. And it's what uh, people will say. It's it's not good advice. You read good advice one time and you got it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's good news. The same scripture speaks to you over and over in different situations and contexts. And I wish that I had known that at a young age like you. It's, um, we're going to get more into your story, but I got to imagine just knowing that that tool is in your belt at any time you want, even at a young age is... is I'm I'm excited to hear how your story unfolds, but I got to imagine that's a tool you go to often.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, tell, like, let's fill in the gaps a little bit here. I I you told me your your dad passes when you're ten. Your mom is uh, strict in bed by eight p.m. Mm-hmm. Sounds like she even waves a finger at you in this story in my mind and. Um, What was middle school, high school like for you? Are you going to church with your your mom and your siblings? Are you in a youth group? How do you continue your faith in Jesus at that point?
1: Yeah, so we went to a a Presbyterian church to where half the people were uh, born again and loved Jesus, and the other half didn't even believe in the resurrection. Hmm. So, uh, you know, and you go... Literally, right. And uh, I don't know, you go in there and you... Sit and you just hear a message, and you get bored to death, you know. And uh, that was junior high. Uh, But, you know, it was interesting. My mom was also um, a little bit different. She'd take us to Melody Lamb once in a while. Um, She had some friends that were very charismatic. Um, One guy, this is actually just before junior high, but he takes me to a full gospel businessmen's meeting. Are you familiar with, those guys are on fire, man. They they don't hold back. So, and, and they speak in tongues and I speak in tongues and I believe in speaking in tongues. But when I was 10, I did not speak in tongues did not want to speak in tongues didn't know what that was so we're at this my mom thinks it's a good idea if i go away on a weekend to a full gospel businessmen's meeting (laughs) with manny mendez and so i'm sitting there in the back with them and they're doing their thing and and they're like okay now everybody's speaking tongues and everybody's hands up and speaking in tongues and i thought you know that's the last thing that i want to do right now and then they said, okay, if there's anybody in the audience who wants to speak in tongues, come up here. And I stayed in my seat, but Manny Mendez had a different idea. He takes me, literally took me by the arm and ushered me up front. <laughs> and they're, okay, now open your mouth and say stuff. Um, And I was like, I didn't speak in tongues or anything, and I was just very resistant to it. Now, fast forward, it's made a huge difference in my life now, but my point is this. I'm going round and round. My point is this, is we got back to our dormitory room, and I'm thinking, you know, what was this speaking in tongues? Why did they make me go up there, and why were they telling me to do this? And it was so uncomfortable, and it's so unnatural. And I opened up the Bible. Guess where I opened up to? Just randomly opened up the Bible, seeking for answers. I'm going to guess Acts. 1 Corinthians 14. I I think that's where they talk about speaking in tongues. And it said right there, you know, this should be done uh, decently and in order. And there should be no more than two or three at a time. And there should be an interpreter. And I thought, and the Lord showed me this is real, this is good, but it needs to be done a certain way. And they were not doing it the right way. And God bless them because it's a great organization and God has used them mightily. But in that in that situation, um, they did maybe something they shouldn't have done. And what's encouraging about that is God knew that this 10-year-old boy or 11-year-old boy at the time was hurting and they did something that made him feel uncomfortable. And I'm going to show them that he's okay, and that w- the way it's really supposed to be. And it was so, it was amazing. I got my, who, I got my answer about speaking in tongues directly from the Lord, in his word, <laughs> just opening it up like this. And since then, God showed me that the answers are here. Yeah. Not every church has something that they maybe not, they don't do quite the way they should, right? Yeah. Because nobody's perfect. And God, he corrected. He showed me the answers. And I thought that was the neatest thing. God speaks even to a 10-year-old boy who's, uh, who needs to be protected. He's not even looking for uh, the Lord necessarily.
0: Yeah. That fits so well with yesterday's message about God at his core and his character protects those who need protection. I, I love that. I was, I was kind of thinking, like, where's the story going? I love how it, it ends with God whispering to you that you're okay he's going to take care of you yes yes beautiful so you middle school high school are you do you go to a presbyterian presbyterian church all the way through high school or
1: so yeah up until high school um what i didn't tell you is that when we moved and how it was rebellious i didn't want to meet any okay i'm going to this school but i am not talking to anybody I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to sit by myself, and I'm going to rebel. Mm. But God gave me a gift, and I don't know if, if you knew this, but um, I used to run. Oh, I had no idea. I used to run. I I, I ran in high school, junior high, high school, college, and after college. Oh, wow. Athlete action, So I was really good when in PE they told us to run a lap, right? So I was in first place running a lap, and all of a sudden. That became my identity because I got friends because I could run fast. Yeah. And that became my – What were your events? So in, in junior high, I ran the 400 meters okay. and the mile, okay. which is kind of a weird combination if you know anything about uh, a running. And in high school, I ran the mile and the two-mile. But in, in college, I ended up dropping down to the 400 meters. Normally, you start off at a certain distance, and you usually move up. Because in order to move down, you have to have more speed, right, yeah. and less endurance. You can increase your endurance, but you really it's hard to increase your speed unless you're naturally gifted. Hmm. Anyway, so um, so that brought me out of my shell and caused me to, like, meet friends and interact with people. And God put uh, a teacher in my life who, who knew that I could run. And at a parent-teacher conference, he said, uh, so, uh, Emily... Uh, your son's a good runner. He's on the track team. Do you, uh, do you go to his track meets? And she's, she's like totally not into sports or anything. No, I don't. And he said, you know, that boy needs someone to, to watch him run because he's really good. And he, he needs you there. Mm. And she never missed a track meet. It's uh, awesome from, from junior high through college. Wow. Yeah. She, I went to UCSB. Okay. And uh, out chose. Yeah. I went to community college, but I ended up at UCSB, and she'd go to my meets, and I remember one time there was a bunch of schools there, USC and so forth, and she she doesn't really understand anything about it. She just sees me running and clap. and she's like, go, Greg, go, go, UCSB, go, USC. <laughs> they were all <laughs> <together. Right. laughs> She started rooting for UCSB, then ended up rooting for USC, who I was running against. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's good. That's the love of a, of a mother. That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs>
0: what did you—I uh, mean, we could just skip high school if you want, but what did, what did you study in college? I'm curious.
1: Communication studies. Okay. However, you know, for the first two years, I didn't know what I was going to do. And you said that was in, in junior college. Right, right. I went to a couple different junior colleges, but had no idea what I was going to do and didn't even care. Uh, because I I gave my life to the Lord when I was— 18 oh, years wow. old. And the way I picked a major communications was when I was 20 years old in 1987, I went on a summer missionary project to Seoul, South Korea with a group called athletes in action. Oh, wow. And they're the athletic ministry of campus crusade for Christ. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it blew me away. It blew me away. Um, I went there after two years of junior college And I didn't uh, have—I didn't know what I was going to do. I I could only run for two years, and then you need to go on to a four-year school. But I wasn't going on to a four-year school. I was staying at the community college. And um, uh, all we did was wake up in the morning and run and then spend the rest of the day talking to people about the Lord. Well, there's two things there. Waking up early in the morning and running with people that were way better than me And in Seoul. It's nothing but hills. So I'm running every day, getting stronger and better, right, because of these hills. And then talking to people about Jesus. And and the Korean people, man, they are so receptive uh, to the gospel. And I thought, you know what? This is what I want to do. I want to major in communications and i want to continue running and because i got better running i went back to the community college and my eligibility was up but i got to run for a track club called athletes in action Mm. and i continued to progress and do better and i had a major now communication studies and i knew what i was going to do and at the end of that year at the end of that year Uh, I remember talking to my, um, or just before the end of that year, talking to my track coach, and my sister, who was a year younger, she was really good in running. And she got offers from from several colleges and took trips. And I remember going up to my track coach and saying, hey, do you think maybe I can kind of piggyback on my sister and and, and maybe go with her to these colleges? And he's saying, you know, Greg, uh, based upon what you did last year, you're just not good enough. <laughs> so I was appreciative that he was honest with me. Yeah. <clears throat> but I kept on training. I kept on getting better. And the school year had ended. I ran in what they call these all-comers meets at Santa Monica College. And the coach from UC Santa Barbara was there. Now, now, backing up a couple months, I had written him a letter. Hey, I want to come to your school um, I'd I like it and everything. Would you give me a scholarship? Well, he never wrote back. Yeah. There was no reason for him to write back. But, but his best guy was there, and his team was there, and the guy that was, um, uh, his best guy was also in the same event as me. And so we ran, and I started off, and the competition was really good. It's two laps, 800 meters. I was in last place after one lap. So it's like you know this race isn't gonna do much for me, getting a scholarship. But then I just felt this incredible boost of strength, and and I went from last to second to last, the third to last, and all of a sudden the stand started roaring, and I started running faster, and I ended up just just missing first place. But it attracted so much attention that when I got back, the track coach from UCSB called my track coach at Fullerton College, and I was out working out or something, um, and when I came back from the workout, the, the, the track coach from, UC, from uh, Fullerton College said, hey, Greg, so-and-so from UCSB called, and um, he's interested in having you uh, come to a school, but he specifically said, I can't give Greg a scholarship, but I'll call him at home. <clears throat> so I was excited. I went home and I, I couldn't wait to receive this, this, this call. You know, maybe somehow I can raise the money to go there. So he calls, and he says, I saw you running. You had a lot of tenacity. I really liked what I saw. And instead of saying, but I can't offer you any money, he said, but I've got a full um, tuition scholarship to give you blew me away. How'd that happen? I don't know. An hour before that, he said he didn't have any money. (laughs) And then he offers me a full scholarship. Wow. So it was, God is good. He is good. It it doesn't matter where you are. If he intends you to be someplace and you're faithful and just doing what he wants you to do, he provides. And then for the uh, other money, right, tuition was paid for, but didn't have enough money to live there. My mom's saying, Gregory, because my name, she called me Gregory. Gregory, how, I can't pay for you to go to college. And I just said, Mom, don't worry, God will provide. And he did. He provided, like, five other scholarships where I didn't have to, I think I had to work one semester in the dining commons just to get, you know, spending money. But after that, it never had to work again. Wow. Just provided everything I needed. Um, it, to a school that I wanted to go to, right? Yeah. A beautiful yeah. spot too. Yeah, it is. Wow. It is. It is. So Anyway, so that was college and we kind of skipped high school. But uh the important thread in that is that God uh he led me the whole way.
0: He I, led I me love that in in real time. You know, so often people look back in retrospect and see, "Oh, God was there." I love that in your story, you're you're recognizing God is there the whole time. Amen. That's, that's a really really cool thing. I I Amen. think one of the things I always wanted for youth when I I did youth ministry was just to recognize that God is actually doing something in your life. I I, I think in my own story, I look back and see, oh, God was there, but I didn't know it in the moment. Uh, I I think I would have, you know, been spared a lot of you know heartache and. and difficult times had I known. So I, I love that you knew that all all, all along the way. Um, so you finished college. You're doing, I'm sorry, Athletes in Action. Is that what it's mm-hmm. called? And uh, where does life take you from there? Well, if
1: I go back, I want to say something about youth, youth ministers. Oh, please. Yeah. Youth pastors, because they play a, a very special role in my life. Uh, youth pastors, they have a gift of being able to take a kid who is, is, is portraying that he doesn't want to be bothered, doesn't want to get to know each other, anybody's kind of cool and to himself. But those kids are really hurting. Mm-hmm. And very few people can, can see past that. But I know you do. I've seen you do that with Caleb. And um, my youth pastor did that with me. I remember when I graduated, <laughs> he and his wife knock on the door and they say, hey, congratulations, here's a Bible. And I'm like great you know but but he he outlined this verse uh Jeremiah uh, 17 my anyway for for I know the thoughts that I think towards you thoughts to give you a future and a hope oh, yeah uh the thoughts of not of good of evil but to give you a future and a hope and after high school I didn't know what I was going to do mm. but That verse made sense to me. I'd never seen it before. Wow, a future and a hope. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. And uh, I ended up going to this uh, Campus Crusade slash Youth for Christ conference in Washington, D.C. And God provided the money to go. um, And I went, and uh, it blew me away. It blew me away because I saw other kids that were interested in knowing the Lord. We went witnessing. But, but, and just before that, just before that, I went to a Billy Graham crusade. Wow. In 1985. And I took my friend because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Grow up in the church and Billy Graham comes, you, you, you go and you take a friend, right? Who doesn't know the Lord? Well, I went and man, he was talking about the prodigal son. And I, and I thought, you know what, uh, Jesus died for me. And I mean, I knew it in words, right? But I didn't know it like that actually means something very deep. He shed his blood for me. So my non-Christian friend watched his Christian friend, me, go down on the field and humble myself and say, look, I've been going to church my whole life, and I I actually believed that if I died, I'm, I'd be saved. But I don't believe I'm living for you, Jesus. Hmm. And that transformed my life right then and there. That came shortly after getting this Bible. This was when you were 18 years old. This was when I was 18, and then I le- I like, wow, well, I got a Bible now. I'm going to read it, and it started it started making sense. Wow, it started making sense because <clears throat> I I surrendered. God, I don't care what people... Th- I was really concerned about what are people going to think about me if I mention Jesus, hmm. you know, or yeah, I believe, but I'm going to believe in quietly in my own way and I'm not going to associate with those people that are, you know, always carrying their Bibles everywhere. Then I became one of those people. Like <laughs> This book became exciting to me. And then the Washington, D.C. thing came and where oh, there's other people like me and 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 then I went to College. God, God opened up the door. My track coach in high school called and say, "Hey, I have I, I I've called the coach of over at Long Beach City College, and I've set up a meeting for you to go down there." Like that came out of the blue after the school year was even over. Awesome. So I go down there. And growing up, we we never went out to. to to lunch or dinner or anything, very rarely. He takes me out to lunch, and I'm thinking, this is great. You know, I'm eating food. He says, please come to my school. And and that school actually won the state championship and was actually voted by Track and Field News magazine as the best uh, uh, collegiate junior college track and field team ever assembled. Wow. That came out of the blue. That was the Lord. I was on the same team with, with an Olympian from Bermuda who ran against Carl Lewis in the 100 meters in the 1984 Olympics. And it's just like, whoa. God <laughs> did have plans for me, and they were big plans. That's awesome. And I, I didn't do anything to make that happen. Yeah, just walked in. Absolutely nothing. Yes. Yeah. It could be exciting if you surrender to the Lord and, and allow Him to, and, and just be faithful. Yeah. I love that it's
0: coming out just like even in your animation is following God is fun. Yes. You know, it's um, I felt like uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, I was kind of pursuing like, OK, I kind of have like a big level calling for my life. But like, God, what is is there more specific? And I felt like God told me, uh, make sure people know that the Bible is fun. It's fun to read. It's not, you know, I, I always grew up like, OK, it's it's important. I love it. But I always thought like sit in your quiet corner open on your desk right, and never smile when you're reading it and I I feel like that really got lifted off me when I really started to think of Jesus as a human Um, it was like Mm -hmm. middle of college and someone said do you really think Jesus was serious and I thought I never really thought about it well what would you do if you were with 12 dudes in their late teens through 20s traveling will there be inside jokes there'd be nicknames. Yeah. There's all of those things in the Bible. Yeah. Is? And I started to think like, Whoa, this is awesome. This is fun. It's funny. It's, it's witty and ironic and all of those things. I feel like it just came alive. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, I love that, that that comes you, out. I love that it comes out in your, in, how, in just how you talk about God and where he's taken you. Uh, I mean, at this point in your story, you're at, you know, graduating from college. But uh, speak speak to the post-college. I, I know that you um, are probably aware that we have a, a growing group of young adults kind of uh, yeah. assembling here <clears> at the bridge. Just had a, a cool worship night last night, I I think, at Pastor Danny's house. Um, and I think there's a lot of people there. They're kind of, you know, post-college or in that mid-20s and kind of figuring life
1: out. What was that like for you? was it was one of the best times of my life Hmm. Um, because I came to the Lord just as high school was, was ending and I loved the youth group, but guess what? Now I'm no longer in high school. I can't go anymore. (laughs) So you know what that youth pastor did? Hmm. He formed a college and career group and I got to go into that. And now I was with uh, kids my age, but also it was kind of a, Bigger. I mean, there was eighteen and nineteen year olds, a, a few of us, and then there was guys in their mid thirties. You know? Oh wow, <clears throat> right. But it was good for me to see um, <clears throat> to interact with people who had already been through a lot hmm. uh, compared to an eighteen year old. Yeah, you could kind of see into your future a little bit. Yes, yes, and just the good examples. And one thing that, <clears throat> excuse me, we would do. After a Bible study, is we would get together and break off into small groups, and we would uh, pray for each other. And I had never done that, and it was a it was it was what I like to call a burden bearing fellowship. You don't have to have a big burden to pray for, but everybody has little burdens or big burdens, and to sit with these people who I saw them at church but didn't know them. I mean, I thought they were one way based upon my perception but when someone prays for you you really see them in a different light you really see past what they look like or what you seem to think that they are and you see the lord the love of jesus coming through them and praying for you Mm. and that made a huge that was very meaningful that that helped me in my walk with the lord and and it's it's a reason why it's easy for me to, to love people, because there's something, there's someone good in them, and that's the Lord. And then God answers prayers, and then there's so much comfort in prayer. Yeah. And it's so necessary. So that was a huge uh, blessing for me. I got to, there was no a delay went right from uh, high school into the new college and career group and and those were my friends and those were the people who prayed for me when I went away to South Korea and I just felt this huge surge of support man these people are praying for me they wrote me letters I was only there for 30 days but yet they wrote me letters and I think I got a few of them there and then a few of them were sent back when I got there (laughs) Uh, but a great time in my life and and it was hard, you know, going from high school to college. But I had this support group of people praying for me, friends, new friends who yeah. who had already been to college maybe or who were in college. And, and uh, uh, tremendous support. Um, and, and the interesting thing, I don't think you know this. Um, after I graduated uh, from college, and I, was, I actually joined the staff of, of Campus Crusade for Christ slash Athletes in Action. And about a year into that, uh, pastor Mark over at Calvary Chapel of Anaheim, a great church. He's now with the Lord. Probably maybe the best Bible teacher I've ever seen, mm. Pastor Mark. He asked me, because the church was supporting me financially, and he said, hey, w- look, the, the old college and career group that you were in has now ended. How about you start up another one? And uh, and I did. That's awesome. I was the college and career pastor or leader and just did the same thing. We had Bible studies and we broke off into small groups and, and prayed for each other. Yeah. And guess where I found my wife? I'm gonna
0: guess in, in the college and career
1: group. She was the first she didn't even go to Calvary Chapel Anaheim, but she was the first person to show up at the first meeting. Hmm. Yes.
0: And that's how and
1: that's your first wife. Um, well, that's actually, this is where the story gets convoluted. She was my, uh, she was the wife that just passed away. Okay. I was married before, um, and that's a story in and of itself, but, uh, it ended in divorce. Mm -hmm. Not with, you know, the one I was talking to you about, but, um, uh, years later, this was in 1993 that I met the wife that, is now with the Lord. But we didn't get married. We we didn't get married. We were friends. And then um, there was a time of, of where she was, uh, we went our separate ways, and I ended up marrying another uh, person, another woman. And uh, just maybe if I can sum it up, she was the, the nicest person that you would ever meet, but she was very different uh, abusive, uh, horrible things happened. Um, all and it was it was difficult for me because I was going through a difficult time with a wife that was abusive, extremely abusive, physically, <clears throat> mentally, in every way possible. But no one would believe me because hmm. she was so nice and she could make you think that things weren't really the way they were and <clears throat> the new friends that I, the old friends that I had, had were, were mostly in this first group of, of people ages 18 to 35 but over time those types of people end up moving on so by the time I got married <clears throat> I had a a group of new friends who only knew her and me. And over time, we were married for seven years. Uh, People believed that I was doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing because of what she was telling them. And it turned out to be really bad. And it was horrible because I was being abused by this this pretty little one hundred and ten year old, uh, or one hundred and ten pound, one hundred and ten year old, hundred and ten pound woman, and and people like, how can that happen? You know, and she would. It was just horrible. How old were you when you got married? I was, right? I was twenty nine. Okay, and we were married for about seven years, uh, and, and to this day, people from that era still look at me like. You were, uh, you, they thought I I abused her Hmm. and and it it was so sad because there was a a betrayal and, and she can't, you know, sit here and give you her perspective on it. But the people who knew me best stood by me Hmm. and, um, I, I never knew anything about a narcissistic personality, but that's what it was. And it was abusive and it was horrible And it was a very, very, very dark time in my life. I was going to ask,
0: how Mm. how did you experience God in the midst of all that? Was it a lot of asking why or
1: were you close with God? What what was your relationship with God like through that? See, that's a very good question. And looking back, um, I was in a backslidden state because the way I responded to being treated unfairly was... I stopped reading my Bible Hmm. and I would go to church, but I, I, I was, I was with the Lord, but I was distant from the Lord. Um, and that made things way harder than it could have been. It should have been. Um, and, and, uh, I mean, and it was, you know, when <laughs> i had I had another Bible study during that time, and the people in the Bible study they thought that um that that I was abusing my wife so I couldn't fellowship with them, and I was alone for the first time in my life i I was lonely. Mm. Uh, my wife would go periods of time. My first wife, complete difference from my second wife. But she would go periods of time without talking to me, not saying a word, not looking at me. If I was watching TV, she'd turn the channel. And if I would ask a question, I wouldn't get an answer. And it would happen for days, weeks, a couple of times it happened for three months at a time. Wow and i remember just being so alone and so lonely and um <clears throat> i i tried to seek the lord but i was uh very inconsistent in that hmm. uh, to my demise right but again just it's almost a little bit like when i was 10 and i was brought up in front of the church uh, not the church this <laughs> This full gospel businessmen's uh, meeting where they made me, you know, and God comforted me by showing me in His Word that hey, I'm still here, and this is really the way you're supposed to do it. God <clears throat> finally um, brought truth, and the people who were important, the pastor and some of the elders, they saw that that things weren't the way that she was describing them to be. Hmm. Um, and God, he rescued me He gave me he, he, he allowed me to to leave I was able to leave that abusive circumstance And uh, did get divorced <clears throat> And then the, the girl with the uh, white jacket Who came in to the first meeting of the college and career group Came back into my life yeah. We we were we ended up <clears throat> at someone's house. hadn't seen each other for years and years and years. And and God brought her into my life. We we weren't dating before. She was just in the group. Yeah. And I told her a little bit what was happening and she started tears were going down her eyes. She didn't judge me like every like all the, the new friends had. Mm. But she believed me. And um, we, we ended up getting married. And the, the, the church that she was attending, her dad's the assistant pastor over at Calvary Chapel of Tustin, they believed me too. Mm. And, and they accepted me. And they embraced me. And they loved me. And they restored me.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, there was actually a slight church split with the other church because there was so much division, because of 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 truth and not truth, and people taking sides. And I, I hate to be the lightning rod, but that's what it was kind of was. And the devil took advantage of that. But Calvary Chapel, Cheston, believed me and they embraced me and restored me back into the ministry and allowed me to teach. And um, and my marriage, my second marriage, was beautiful. Yeah. It was, we had a great marriage, and we ended up having kids. And it was, it was heaven on earth, and it was God showing me that, yeah, you went through a difficult, dark time, but I love you. And I've restored you. I've restored your reputation. Hmm. I've restored your happiness. Believe it or not, <clears throat> I look back on that time, and honestly, for about seven years, I didn't even smile. Wow, I can't imagine you, you not are, smiling. You, yeah, I was just walking around. Just, <laughs> I didn't smile and I didn't laugh, and I'd forgotten what joy
0: was. Wow, I can't imagine you that I know not smiling or laughing. Right Sometimes right. we don't even get a word out before you're laughing Yes, yeah. yes, and I have so
1: much joy Yeah and, it, and also it made me so much more thankful Thank you God For giving me a wife Who loves me Who, who, who has a, a mom and dad They have a mom and dad who love me The whole family love me The whole church love me And, and you give me kids <clears throat> Caleb Now I'm going to throw you a curveball here, okay, ready? Caleb, Allison Olivia. Joshua. Hmm. Now you haven't heard about Olivia. No one in probably who's listening has heard of Olivia, but Olivia was our third child Um, and uh, we went to the doctors and they do the ultrasound and four and a half months into it. Something went wrong. Mm. She ended up having a situation called hydrocephaly, Mm -hmm. uh, water in in the brain. And we were praying for a miracle, but she passed away. Mm. And I never talk about it, um, but it's important to mention from time to time because she was alive. She was in uh, Amy's womb. and, And Amy even had to go to the hospital and, and birth that child. Yeah. And it was the weirdest feeling because I had been in the hospital where th- everything is joyful that the child comes. And this time the child comes and the child's dead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the child's alive in heaven, but the child's dead. And it's such an, a, a sad feeling. And we even had a funeral uh, for her. Um, but, but she is my child. And mm-hmm. I will see her again in heaven. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? On, on my wife Amy's deathbed, um, she <laughs> she was talking, and she said, Who is that little girl at the end? That little girl was with another person, uh, maybe an angel. But there was this little girl. And when, <clears throat> when my wife lost Olivia... It was sad, and I remember coming home from the hospital weeping with with my uh, mother-in-law and my father-in-law. And then after that, I started getting better. I started feeling better. And I I was able to, like Don Granger, he mentioned, we're able to compartmentalize things. But my wife hurt. And I don't think she ever really got over that, because it is such a painful thing. And uh, nobody talks about miscarriages until you have one, and then people come out of the woodwork and yeah. they say, "You know what? I'm praying for you because that happened to me too, that's, and I know what you're going through."
0: That, that's our experience for sure. I, I don't know if you knew that, but we we shared that here at the church. Um, our, our first our first child, yeah, and it, you know, it was one of those isolating moments where it was, you know, do you talk about it? Do you not? And I was always blown away because the second you talk about it, other people start looking around and then they do the me too. Mm-hmm. And you like, where were you when we needed you most? Nobody was, was talking about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you
1: suffer in silence in, yeah. in a sense.
0: Yeah, but I, I, I relate to what you're saying. <clears throat> There's a, a grief period and then I, I think just how we're wired, the ability to kind of compartmentalize where, you know, just weighs heavy just weighs heavy in a home, especially on, on my wife for, for a long, long time. Um, We actually ended up going to to counseling to kind of work through some of those, those things. Um, you know, but those are, those are really difficult times. I had no idea Mm
1: -hmm.
0: when you were saying that, uh, we'll get there in a second. Um, when you were saying Amy was on her deathbed and she saw a little girl and with, with a man that you couldn't see, I I immediately thought of your dad Mm -hmm. that maybe they were holding hands. Hmm. So I, I don't want to cut off this story. Um, I don't know if you're you're done telling it, but I'd, I'd love for you just to walk through. You you have three kids uh, that are still with us, right. that are um, man, they're just they're all different, aren't they? And they are uh, they are hilarious. Your youngest son just cracks me up mm-hmm. so much. I just think he's Joshua. Yeah, Joshua. But but talk us through uh, having having those kids and um, you know what ends up. Uh, transpiring in your home with, with Amy getting ill and, and all those things.
1: So. Hmm. The kids are, I, I don't want to say, I think I know they're just the greatest blessings. Uh, They're different. Allison reminds me of mommy. Hmm. Um she she is very attuned to how I'm feeling. If I'm uh, upset the boys won't notice it, but Allison, daddy, are you upset? No. Daddy, you're upset. <laughs> she has that special she reminds me so much of her mommy and it's so good to have her. <clears throat> um gosh, uh, you know, Joshua he was only he, he was only a a year old when when uh, when mommy passed away, and Caleb he, he's a trooper, man. He was eight, <clears throat> and I, there's a story I want to tell about Caleb, um, and, and, and it'll just touch your heart. He at the funeral, the funeral was held the same place where. Pastor John's funeral was, mm-hmm. Calvary Chapel of Teston. And Pastor Danny met my uh, father-in-law, and they arranged it, and they had it. The place was packed. I don't know if you've ever been. It, it, it was, I was big. Yeah. It, it was packed with, with Amy's funeral. <clears throat> and Caleb, being eight years old, he tugged on me. He says, Daddy, it was during the time when you can go up and you can talk. And I didn't have anything to say. I was I, I I was just in a different place and Caleb said, Daddy, let's go up. He goes up there in a in front of a packed church and this eight year old boy who just lost his mommy and this is what he said he says everything is gonna be okay. Hmm. Wow. He just lost his mom, and he had the faith, and, and 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 something in him that he, even though he was hurting, he saw that other people were hurting. Yeah. And he wanted to comfort them. An eight-year-old boy. Wow. Don't worry. Everything is going to be okay. Wow. And. There wasn't a dry eye in that in that sanctuary. Hmm. The the boy has; he's got a special gift uh, that you you just can't develop. I mean, it's something that God put in him. He's aware and he's concerned about people, and he has a trust in the Lord. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I think I I don't know if I wrote you a note or just mentioned this to you. I remember that. Right. It's probably it was. Pre-COVID, now that that's how we bark everything, right? we were having a worship night here, and I think I was back doing the slides here in the, the AV booth, and um, the kids were here in the sanctuary, and, you know, it's just worship, and I remember you were worshiping, you just had kind of your hands up, just quietly worshiping, and I, I could see Caleb, he had his arms crossed, yeah, not yeah. like in a defiant way, but he was kind of taking it all in, looking mm-hmm. at everything. And then as clear as day, I, I can remember he turns and he just looks at you. And you're just worshiping and he's looking at you and looking at you and looking at you. And then he faces forward and I see both of his hands go up. He just he just wanted whatever's going on with dad right now, I want I want a piece of that. And I remember thinking, the kid's not even in middle school yet, and he's just throwing himself before God. I I I will always remember that. That was, mm. that was wonderful. So I I think Greg I know that there's a, a risk sometimes because people have heard your testimony before but I I know many who are going to watch and listen will not be familiar with it. So um what
1: what happened with Amy? She had breast cancer. <clears throat> um you don't expect that. Um, she had a lump on her breast, and um, she went she went to the doctor. And I remember getting a phone call from the doctor, and I was sitting on the couch, surrounded by my three kids. You know, and uh, I'm sorry, not three kids, uh, two kids, because Joshua was my wife was eight months pregnant with Joshua when she was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, I had no eight idea. Eight months pregnant. Allison was four. um, Kayla was seven. And I remember receiving that phone call, your wife has cancer. Man. So um, initially, things went well. Um, We we went and we, we received a lot of prayer. We even went to a healing service. And um, this was shortly after, uh, a month later, Joshua was born. A month after that, we went to a healing service in Arizona. And this lady prayed for Amy, and um, she didn't even say anything. She just came, and she prayed. Hmm. And then she said, Amy, um, is there any way we we can tell that God healed your cancer? And Amy had a lump, and and she was feeling around for the lump. And she said... I don't feel anything, and the lump was gone. Wow, the lump was gone. Uh, and about a year, at, and from then on, about a year later, uh, Amy's felt great. She, I've never. Her, she changed her her diet to to more, you know, good vegetables and that kind of stuff. She had more energy. She never caught a cold. In between. Uh, the time she was diagnosed with cancer and the time she passed away, um, the, the lump had gone. the The breast surgeon said, "I don't know what happened." We've she the breast surgeon measured it and it went from maybe the size of uh, a ping pong ball to to maybe that small. You couldn't even feel it. Wow. <clears throat> and he says, I, "I've never seen anything like this. I don't know what you did," and uh, but. Instead of going in for surgery, you don't need to any anymore now, and just keep doing what you're doing. And for a year later, things went excellent; they really good. And we started thinking, cancer, and this is nothing, you know. But then the cancer did come back, and um, we noticed it on her birthday in October. And by the time she passed away, was two months later. Wow! Christmas Eve. Yeah, I remember Christmas that. Eve, just as it was getting dark, and um, yeah. So, she was on hospice for a month before that, and that was difficult because when she was on hospice, the bed was in the living room. Uh, much of that time, the kids were at at Grandma and Grandpa's house because Joshua, you know, he'd pull out the plug and of oxygen, and it's it was better. Mm-hmm. and um, we, we we brought them back in uh, a couple of days before she passed away. And one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was sit down and talk to my kids and, and tell them it looks like Mommy's going to pass away. And they'd only seen—they they knew Mommy had cancer, but, like, Mommy was doing great, you yeah. know. And then for it to come on all of a sudden— <clears throat> It was a big shock, obviously. Um, Caleb really, he took it hard, but he took it well. And what I mean by that is uh, Caleb was grieving in the way that maybe one should. Um, you're, you're hurting and you're crying and you have no, uh, you don't care what people think. You just hmm. let it all out. And he hurt for a long time. <clears throat> And up until about maybe six months ago, um, I would be awakened at night, uh, with at least one of the kids crying mm-hmm. at night, uh, because they miss mommy, you yeah. know, um, Alison probably had, a, a more intimate relationship with mommy than anybody had because, She was the only daughter. Yeah. There was a special connection there. And after Amy passed away, Allison took it differently. Uh, Oh, I'm okay. I'm not sad. And in reality, she was being destroyed inside. Yeah. And it would come out occasionally. Um, I would have, I'd need a break, and someone from the church would come over and babysit. And she would just look at them and she would say, you're not my mommy. And she would yell at them, little sweet Allison. This rage would come out at times. And it wasn't her fault, but she didn't know how to, how does a five and a half year old deal with her mommy being gone? Yeah. All of a sudden. And then uh, about a year into it, she just just broke down and was just crying at dinner one night and just sobbing uncontrollably. And it was the best thing that could have happened to her because she released all of that burden. Mm. And and now we, we make it a, a practice. If we miss Mommy, we're going to cry. Yeah. And we're going to, because it's a very sad thing. You can gloss over it. And, and only see part of it. Mommy's in heaven. Mommy's not suffering. We're going to see mommy again. And we do talk about that. But yeah. there's another very practical part. There's a spiritual, which is true. And there's there is a practical, which is true. And they both, they intertwine. They go together. <clears throat> and the practical is we hurt and we miss mommy every day. Yeah. And and we need mommy, but mommy's not here, so we need to rely up, upon the Lord. But we're still going to talk about mommy. We're not going to pretend mommy mm. doesn't exist. <clears throat> and we're going to thank God for mommy. And every night, I pray with the kids. I put them down. The boys have their own room. I pray with them. Allison has her own room. I pray with them. <clears throat> and we all say, God, thank you for mommy and daddy. And then other people But we always talk about mommy We always thank God for mommy Because God isn't the God of the dead He's the God of the living And yeah. mommy is alive Yeah, And that is <clears throat> very true One day we're going to see her again And I, I have a personal um, belief That the greater the tragedy The greater the joy will be at the end there, There's mm. joy, extreme joy Is always connected with some sort of tragedy Wow, that's. You can't separate those. You can experience a tragedy, but don't stop there. Look towards a joy. Yeah. But don't overlook the fact that it hurts. Yeah. And we don't have some of the things that other kids have, you know? They don't have a mommy to go back to. But you know what? God always provides. Uh, Mommy's mom lives about seven minutes away from here. Mommy's sister, lives with Grammy, and they have been. They though they can't replace Amy. They have been substitutes, very good substitutes for mm-hmm. Mommy, and they spend time with Amy and Joshua and Caleb. And I am blessed. I am blessed to have uh, a mother and a father-in-law and a sister-in-law who love Jesus with all their hearts, and they love those kids. And they've been so good to them. Yeah. And that is something only God can give. I couldn't have done that, you know. Yeah. So, And we're blessed because some people, they, they don't have that. Either maybe their in-laws, you know, don't know the Lord or maybe they're, they know the Lord, but they're not, they're far away. But they've loved those kids and God has provided for them, mm-hmm. I think, and for that.
0: I love how you're describing just the grief process. I, I think... When you start thinking about your children growing into adulthood, I think one of the the longstanding gifts that you're giving them is to let let the hurt hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I even think of my own life and thinking about you know so often some of the the griefs, big and small, were done privately and quietly and they were bottled up. You know, and, and there was never a really profound example of. We're going to talk about seeing mommy in heaven, but when you're sad, we're going to pause and we're going to cry. I, Mm -hmm. I think, I think, man, there, there's a gift awaiting those kids just in maturity and emotional ability to, to process for the rest of their lives because of what you've done for them. It's really,
1: really awesome. Um, and to be able to identify with other people who hurt too. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't able to do that. Uh, until I experience what I experience. Yeah. And then I'm much more sensitive to to others that hurt. Um, uh, Doug and Martha, um, uh, Connie, I, I just, I, I, I weep for them. Yeah. I, just, I feel something. Whenever I go to a funeral, I, it takes me to a place where I don't think anyone can get to unless they've experienced the same thing. And and I I learned what it is to be able to weep with those who weep. And this church is very good at that. Mm -hmm. What Danny did uh, the Sunday after uh, uh, Robert passed away to acknowledge that and have everybody to go over to them if they wanted to and just hug them and and Connie too. And, And the interesting thing is words are almost useless when it comes to that. Mm. Um, And I think that holds people back because they think, I don't know what to say. I really feel for them, but I don't know what to say. But the best thing is just to give a hug Hmm. and just hold them. Yeah. And just show them that you, you are praying for them, but, but you love them. Hmm. That speaks volumes. I think that's, Tremendous
0: wisdom for people who are going to hear this coming from someone who's experienced great loss I know for certain I've had that feeling cross my mind I don't know what to say Mm -hmm. Um, and I love how you said that you don't you don't really need to say anything there's nothing you're going to say that's going to change anything but just your your presence and
1: um, many times you shouldn't say anything Hmm. just like you said your presence yeah wow
0: yeah Wow, I, I, you know what? As we're we're talking through this, I, I think I, I'm just struck. You know, it, it seems like grief has different seasons, but it doesn't always just go away, and it probably won't. But I'm just blown away, Greg, by the strength that God has put in you because it's not just that your kids are grieving; you're grieving too, and you're grieving as an adult while they're grieving as children. It's two very different things, but. I think the the way that God has led you to navigate that is just it's beautiful. Not in the way where everything just comes out nice and tidy, but in the way that you know God is honored that your your kids are are growing and and learning because of your example. So I, I just before we move on, I just wanted to honor that in you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. There's a special there's a special connection with worship,
0: hmm.
1: and there's a in my life. And grieving, I sit there next to Wanda in the third row. <laughs> that's that's Greg's spot. If you show up before him, don't sit there. And uh, there's a reason I do that. Uh, I, I like sitting there because, if you notice, amongst those beautiful women who have lived life, uh, many of them um, have lost husbands. Yeah. Um, I think of, of Gwen, and by the way, <laughs> side note, have you ever seen a woman of any age with such a beautiful smile as Gwen? It's, it's amazing. But they've been through hurt, and I like sitting there because I belong. there. It, it's almost an exclusive set of, of people who have been through such hurt that we don't even have to really talk about it. And once in a while, we mention it something here and there, but we don't even have to talk. I, I can, this is weird because I never was able to understand this, but it's true. I can see it in their eyes and they can see it in my eyes and they can, I can feel their compassion towards me. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but, but worship has been so comforting to me prior to Amy passing away. I didn't raise my hands in church. But now I raise my hands and I just release everything and i I realize that um, that 's what amy 's doing she 's worshiping the Lord. Hmm. I think of the founder of this church, Noel. I think of John sometimes when i 'm worshiping, I think you know what they 're not here, but I can almost I can almost envision what it was like when they were here and standing and probably worshiping the Lord because now that 's what they 're doing in heaven. And I'm, what I'm doing now, I'm sharing in the same activity as what they're doing in heaven. And it's such a beautiful thing that I can engage with the saints who have gone before us mm-hmm. and worship the Lord. And it's such a source of strength and encouragement and, and, and comfort And it reminds me that it's only a matter of time. God will take care of everything. It's going to be difficult, but he takes care of things, maybe not in our timing. But there will come a day when I will enter in and I will join them. And I have a a personal promise from the Lord. I, I don't want to be extra biblical, but when I was in elementary school, before my dad passed away, we lived in a cul-de-sac. He would uh, sometimes work from home, and I would run, uh, come around the corner and I would see him at the end of the cul-de-sac, and I would just take off running. It's probably what made me so fast. I'd run <laughs> and I'd just jump into his arms. And when I enter heaven, I think, and Amy, my wife, she wasn't a fast runner. But she is now, so when i i i I made the Lord promise me that when I enter into heaven, Amy and I are going to run together faster than ever into the arms of the Lord, and my dad's going to join us. we're all going to run together and and uh anyway, it's just a, a we're, it's going to be what a joyful day that will be, yeah what a joyful day that will be. Wow,
0: wow. Man, that's it's a lot of a lot of things to to consider and and think about. But I I'm kind of blown away, Greg, in just this short amount of time. Just just how much like conversational wisdom that you carry. I think um, one of my experiences and my my feeling for for you is you're not shy about sharing it if people ask. Um, I have this this memory of you. I I remember it was a midweek and I hadn't seen you for a little while and. I saw you and you were looking down at something, and that was when I realized you have your note cards, uh, because you're a Bible memorizer. Oh, right, right, right. And you know, I, um, probably this, you're just memorizing Um, scripture. uh, Romans eight. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I was thinking about that because, um, this is like maybe TMI, but I'll, I'll just (laughs) come out with it. When I was in college, I had this, um, this professor that really pushed for memorizing scripture. Um, And so I would write scripture on uh, note cards. I'd cut them in half so they would fit in my wallet. And I'd started doing that. And you know, this is kind of feels a little shameful now, but uh, honest truth. I started doing it and I realized that as I would do that, people would be curious. Hey, what are you doing? And in my heart, I realized I'm getting attention for this. I'm going to keep doing it. That's really what my thought was. And I remember feeling like God convicted me months later. You've learned lots of scripture, but you've done it for attention. You haven't done it for me. And I remember feeling like, really like, man, you should be beyond this. Why are you still seeking, you know, attention in that way? And so I had that in my mind when I realized that you got your head down and your, your cards, but I remember, um, asking you, what, what are you doing? You said, Oh, just, just nothing like, Oh, what are you, what what are you doing? And you told me, I'm, I'm kind of memorizing some scriptures. And I remember thinking that's how you're supposed to be doing that. It's, um, it's just it just feels like what you have taken in from God's word kind of oozes out of you. I feel like people who know you know that, Oh, so many people have said, you got to have Greg on. Have you ever talked to Greg? You got to have Greg on the podcast. You got to let Greg share the the amount of wisdom that comes out of Greg. And, um, I think we can, we can wrap up relatively soon, but I'm, uh, I got one foot in the millennials. So I, I wrote <laughs> down a Bible verse on my phone for you. I was thinking about you and, Um, sometimes scriptures just come right to mind and sometimes they don't. And this morning I was kind of flipping through my Bible. I like to go through and see what I've underlined and put stars next to and stuff. And I, I flipped a couple pages and I saw this and I I looked down and I just thought, this is, this is for Greg. This is what I, I think about Greg. Um, and I think in our hour plus of talking together, it's just even more confirmation that this is you. This comes from James chapter three. It says, wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, pure then it's peace-loving it's considerate of others it's submissive to god full of mercy and good fruit it's impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness and i thought you know what that is greg that's greg's wisdom it's it's pure it's never self-seeking. It, it loves peace. It's considerate. Even a conversation we were having off, off air before we started, you were telling me about something maybe you disagreed with and you just kept saying, you know what, but man, they've been so good to me. They love me. And I just thought a hundred percent, that's the scripture. It's, it's considerate. And so I just wanted to affirm that in you. I think even before I really knew you, I could see that in you. So many people, I got to say, uh, You and just a handful of others have been the most requested person in my email inbox. you got to have Greg on the podcast. I'm I'm glad you're finally here so the emails will stop. But Greg, you're a a tremendous man of wisdom. I hope when people hear this, they they see you and think, I can approach him. I can uh, relate with some of his story. And um, So as we kind of wrap up, I I want to give you a a moment. What what would you say to people? Maybe... um, one or two things, maybe somebody who's grieving or somebody who's feeling their way
1: out. What what does God have for me? What would you share with them? Well, I wasn't always like, you know, memorizing scriptures. Um, I kind of did it out of necessity. Hmm. So I would share that um, sooner or later, uh, you're going to go through, if you haven't already, and even if you have times that are just going to be overwhelming, And uh, you're not going to be able. No matter how much you've been through, you're not going to be able to figure this out. Um, And it's 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 so important to to rely upon the Lord in a practical way by uh, seeking Him in His Word. Mm. And after Amy passed away. I did that. I opened up the Word of God and I read and I read and I read and I read, but I only remember reading one verse and it was out of the Psalms Psalm one forty six point I don't I'll just tell you what it says. It says I will relieve the fatherless and the widow. And that promise strengthened me daily because I couldn't remember Anything else that I read And I read and I read and I read But I remembered I will relieve the fatherless and the widow And then I look back And I was fatherless when I was 10 I was a widow when I was 49 So that just seeking him And he'll give you something And then when he does Rely upon it Highlight it Go back to it And start with that And don't let go of it and the other thing is this and it kind of it actually relates to Colton <laughs> when he came running in here one day <laughs> while I was preaching. Right. <laughs> I had a similar thing with Caleb but anyway, the commonality is 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 this is Colton came in here because he was afraid and he was looking for his mommy. Mommy, mommy, mommy. And kids they will reject Inferior love Anything that is inferior To the love of God We should reject too Um, The story with Caleb When he was about two years old He was fascinated with foosball And he he was getting too close To those bars And I said, Caleb, get away from there And uh, he wouldn't So I finally had to remove him Set him on my lap Well, long story short, he ends up going back and getting popped in the head with one of those bars. And it was a room full of, it, it was like during a party. And he starts screaming and women from all over the room came running to him. And they started screaming and one picked them up. And it was the neatest thing. He looked at her and he says, I want my daddy. hmm and just like Colton, Mommy! Yeah. And that's what we need to do in whatever situation we find ourselves. Reject anything else because anything else is inferior to the love that the Lord has for us. Wow. And that'll get you through anything. Wow. I want Jesus. Wow.
0: I, I can't imagine um, just a better way to end. I think... Um I know you well enough. You're a, a great, friendly guy. I think you're probably going to meet some really awesome people that are going to approach you. I'm, I'm excited to hear um, what conversations and friendships kind of kind of grow out of, of this podcast together. So we'll sign off. I just want to thank you again. Thanks for setting aside the time right in the middle of, of your day. Um, thanks for praying over me before we started. It was great to pray together. And um, I just really enjoyed our time, and I, I'm really looking forward to how God uses your testimony to— encourage and uplift a lot of a lot of people who are in need. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's great. We'll sign off.